tonight from the uh, book of Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 4. I invite you to turn there uh, with me, Colossians 4. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, that's page 985, 985 uh, in the Pew Bible. I encourage you to have your Bibles uh, open uh, as we uh, look to this passage of uh, Scripture uh, together. Uh, you probably heard before that there's no uh, sweeter sound to a, a pastor that when he announces a, a scripture passage that um, that he hears that he hears people opening its pages. And so, uh, if I hear you opening the pages of scripture when we're reading the Bible together, uh, you just know that that sends a, a thrill of joy into the heart. Uh, of, uh, of your pastor. So uh, we're in Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse... Now, don't just do that to please me. You've got to actually keep the... You know, don't just sit through and close it, but, you know, you, it, it will be a blessing to us. Uh, so Colossians 4, 2 to 6. You know, the uh, book of Colossians, we uh, looked at a passage in Colossians 1 some weeks ago uh, about uh, the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, so the book of Colossians, all about... Uh, the glory of Christ, but then how uh, in Christ we are then to be clothed with Him. We are new creatures in Christ. And then it goes through Colossians 3, applying that in various situations of practical living. And then chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul kind of closes his discussion and he, he does that by, by asking them, the Colossian church, to pray. And so tonight we'll have that special time to pray at the end of the service. And so it'll be good for us to spend time in, in this section. And you may recall last Lord's Day, we began a, a short series here in January and February, a little bit just asking questions together uh, as a church body, things we should be thinking about together. And uh, so last Lord's Day, uh, we thought together of what should we be seeking together. And then the scripture tells us, well, uh, we are all to be seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There can only be one first in a church. And that is seeking something of the reign and rule of Christ uh, in our midst. And uh, that's what we want to seek together every day, always. And so tonight we want to ask, how shall we pray together? What is it that we should be praying for always uh, as the people of God? And so here now the word of the Lord from Colossians 4, uh, verses 2 to 6. says the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it uh, with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may, be, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak." Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is uh, the word of the Lord. To prayer then, uh, wrote John Calvin uh, in the Institutes, to prayer then, are we indebted for penetrating to those riches which are treasured up for us with our Heavenly Father? For there is a kind of intercourse between God and men 
by which having entered the upper sanctuary, they appear before him and appeal to his promises that when necessity requires, they may learn by experience that what they believed merely on the authority of his word was not in vain. Accordingly, we see that nothing is set before us as an object of expectation from the Lord, which we are not enjoined to ask of Him in prayer. So true it is, said Calvin, that prayer, this is a prayer uh, digs up those treasures which the Gospel of our Lord discovers to the eye of faith. The necessity and utility of this exercise of prayer no words can sufficiently express. Assuredly, it's not without cause our Heavenly Father declares that our only safety is in calling upon His name, since by it we invoke the presence of His providence to watch over our interests, of His power to sustain us when weak and almost fainting, of His goodness to receive us into favor though miserably loaded with sin. In fine, call upon Him to manifest Himself to us in all His perfections. Hence, admirable peace and tranquility are given to our consciences. For the straits by which we were pressed being laid before the Lord, we rest fully satisfied with the assurance that none of our evils are unknown to Him and that He is both able and willing to make the best provision for us. That's how Calvin begins a Extended treatment of prayer in the Institutes. Did you know that about John Calvin? Uh, prayer is like digging up the treasures of the promises of God which he has made to us. Now, we never need to look far in the letters, of course, of the Apostle Paul to be reminded that the Apostle Paul was a man of prayer. Uh, you'll know that his letters often uh, begin with an affirmation that he is praying for God's people. He does that here in Colossians 1, verse 3. We always Thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Uh, there's often an expression of his intensity in prayer. Sometimes this can unnerve us uh, when we read the Apostle Paul and the intensity of prayer. His commitment to ongoing prayer for the good of God's people. A good in, uh, Again, in chapter 1 of Colossians, verse 9, Paul would write, And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. But here, uh, Paul uh, is not giving uh, an autobiographical information about his own prayer life. Instead, he's continuing in the book of Colossians to flesh out what it means to be uh, living as a Christian clothed with Christ. And so at the end of this letter, it is a call to uh, ongoing uh, faithful, watchful, attentive, thankful, uh, a persevering commitment to enjoying fellowship and communion with God in prayer. That's how he starts in that, in that verse 2. Continue, he says, steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Steadfast simply means faithful. It means pray and not give up. It means enduring uh, or being devoted in prayer. Uh, being watchful in it, well, watchful means keeping our eyes and ears and hearts open to the needs and cares and answers to prayer all around us. 
uh, being watchful comes from the, the Greek word to be alert. Uh, could be uh, translated to be awake. Uh, in Greek, it's the word gregoreo, from which we get the, the name Gregory. Someone named Gregory is, I am awake. Um, and that's the word behind that. To be awake in prayer. Oh, that's a good reminder, isn't it? Be awake in prayer. Um, watchful in it. Um, and also praying with thanksgiving. But right off the bat, this is important to us, isn't it? Because as we think about prayer, Paul's saying, well, be steadfast, keep on, and be watchful in it. That is, eyes, ears uh, open. So, for instance, when you think about praying for missionaries, our missionaries in the OPC in China and Uganda and Haiti and Uruguay, uh, if we're not watchful, if we, don't, if we don't know the names of our missionaries, if we don't read the newsletters that come to us from foreign missions or home missions, how can we pray? For our brothers and sisters in this in this in this denomination, unless we're watchful, we know what's happening on the mission field. Uh, how can we pray for our brothers and sisters in this church unless we're watchful and uh, and we know each other? That's what's so frustrating and difficult as a, as a new pastor in a congregation that uh, that uh, you know I can't visit everybody at once because uh, I want to know who you are all immediately. But I can't do that. And so I have to uh, do some visits and some visits and get to know you a little bit so that I can be uh, in prayer for you. But we can't pray very well for each other unless we're watchful in it, uh, knowing our cares and concerns and certainly our names. And again, uh, Paul notes, uh, you pray to God with thanksgiving. This is all just introductory as he's speaking about prayer. We always pray with thanksgiving. Paul himself models this, of course, in this letter and elsewhere. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Inevitably, you'll find that at the beginning of the Apostle Paul's letters, that as he says, I'm praying for you, you will always say, uh, I pray with thankfulness. Uh, and that's a, that's a good, sometimes that's a rebuke to us. You know, Paul says, every time I think of you, I pray with joy or with thankfulness. And so sometimes that rebukes us and say, well, whoa, wait a minute, every time I think of every member of Faith Church, do I pray with joy or thankfulness or what? Uh, yes, says Paul, when I think of the brothers and sisters because they're sharers in the gospel, the first thing I think of prayer is I'm so thankful uh, for these brothers and sisters because I've heard of your faith. So when you pray, says Paul, always Always with thanksgiving, uh, because we know any brother or sister in the faith is only a brother and sister because God has graciously worked in their life. And we can't come in prayer to, to God who's holy because we're sinners unless we ourselves have been cleansed uh, through the blood. And so, and so we come thankful that we can come to a holy God at all. Now, here's the thing. What catches our attention here in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, about this particular call to prayer is the particular prayer request uh, that Paul makes. He prays for open doors uh, and for open uh, mouths. He prays for open doors and open mouths. Now, we're used to making prayer requests, of course, and God, we know, truly does care uh, for all our needs. And that's a wonderful thing that we can... Uh, offer prayers to the Lord about our, our um, you know, a broken leg uh, or if we're sick. We know that God knows the, the numbers of hairs on our head. And so he does care about everything about us physically, any, any struggle we're going through. And that's a wonderful thing. Sometimes a request for prayer uh, isn't really a request for prayer at all. I don't know if you've, you've been at prayer meetings where sometimes a, uh, a 
request for prayer time, someone might say something, but it's, it's not really a request for prayer, but it might be a, uh, an update on what's happening in someone's life or something like that. Or, uh, or what maybe someone heard on the news or uh, maybe uh, something that particularly bothers someone. But it's, it's not really a request for prayer. Sometimes we often don't know uh, what to pray about or what to pray for, and sometimes we're not convinced we need to pray at all. Uh, but you're here tonight, and you knew that we were going to spend uh, extra time in prayer, so you believe it's important. Uh, as someone once said, um, we're all Calvinists on our knees, that is, when we bow to pray, but often we're all Arminians when we stand up, that is... Those who pray to God are either thanking God for something, that is, it was sovereignly given by His hand, and I know I need to thank Him, or when we're praying, we're asking God for something because we're, we're humbly recognizing that He is the only one uh, who can, can respond in His sovereignty. So we're all Calvinists on our knees. We're dependent on God when we pray, uh, but it's the Arminian who, who, uh, who, who when, he is, is when he stands up uh, and thinks, I don't, I'm not dependent on God. I can do it myself. And it's only the Arminian who thinks prayer is giving God information, for instance, about something he doesn't know. Right? You may be an Arminian, for instance, if you've ever said, the least I can do is pray. That's what the Arminian says. The least I can do is pray. You know the Bible says? Uh, the most you can do is pray. Because your efforts, my efforts, won't amount to much of anything. But if you pray for God to act, well then, then we can look out. Now here's the thing, the point is this. We need help to pray. Now Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison. Uh, wouldn't you expect him to pray in prison to ask the church to pray for his release? He doesn't do that. Wouldn't you think that in prison he would ask the church to pray for a more comfortable bed uh, in prison? Uh, when, I, uh, think of, uh, when I think of this passage of being in prison and praying for a bed, I think of, uh, if you've ever watched uh, the Andy Griffith show, remember the old Andy Griffith show, and Aunt B would visit the prison, and the prisoners would be there in prison, and, and she'd bring them over hot apple pie and things like that, and they'd make their, make their prison stay as pleasant as possible. Now, Paul's in prison and he's asking the church to pray. You'd think he would pray. Uh, Please pray that things would be more comfortable for me here in this prison. But he doesn't. Uh, What's on his mind is the gospel. And in here, it is referred to as the mystery uh, of Christ. He wants them to pray that God would open a door for the word. Verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So he say, he doesn't pray for a more comfortable bed. He says, uh, pray that I'd have more opportunities to do what got me in prison in the first place. Praise for a door for the Word. Not an open door of his prison cell, but an open door for the Word. That is the message, the mystery of Christ. That Paul would make it clear that he would speak clearly. Have you heard this language of open door before? Well, think of Acts 16 and Lydia. You have. 
Lydia, the seller of purple cloth, who would gather with other ladies at the river. Paul, the gospel preacher, came along to preach about Jesus. And the Bible says, the Lord uh, opened her heart. This is what it says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord had to do that. Did you know that? If you, did you know that? If you ever, in this building, if you ever pay attention to a sermon, if you ever do that, did you know it's not your own doing? Uh, if you ever pay attention to a sermon, instead of staring out the window, uh, or planning your week ahead, or counting the, uh, uh, you know, the beautiful wood panels or strips on the ceiling, or watching the bug uh, across the floor... You know, if you ever pay attention to a sermon, rather than doing any of those things, the Bible says the only reason is that God has, God has opened your heart to that. So that you would pay attention to the Word. I remember preaching a, a sermon one morning in California. And after the service, oh, it seemed like folks were really really kind of buzzing around and people were kind of excited. And I thought, oh, I must, uh, oh boy, the Lord must have... Uh, you know, use the sermon and was, and uh, you know, folks were talking about it. Oh, and and so I, you know, as a you know, I got into one of the circles or whatever, and uh, people were all excited. You know why? Because during the sermon there was a squirrel behind me, and uh, the squirrel was, you know, there was a beautiful window behind me, and then the mountains are there, eleven thousand feet, and uh, and there was a little squirrel running across the outside on the window, and I heard that, and I. Oh. Well, I love squirrels too. Uh, don't get me wrong. But the Bible says that to pay attention to the Word is a matter of the Lord opening a heart. Why do children in covenant homes listen to the Bible reading, take in the message of Christ, and believe in Jesus? Well, the Bible says the Lord opens their heart. Why do you or anyone else come to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation? God has to open your heart, open your ears, open your mind to the truth as it is in Jesus. And so Paul says we need to pray, pray for an open door for the Word. Specifically, Paul says pray for us. Now remember, Timothy is with him. Pray for an open door for the Word to get through. 2 Corinthians 2, he speaks about a, a door opening in Troas. In 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, he speaks about a, a wide door opened in Ephesus. means opportunity. means access for the Word. That I, he says, pray for that door to open that I might declare the mystery of Christ. Now, what is that mystery again? Well, it's not something strange, but simply uh, the mystery in Scripture is something that God, something previously un unknown, is now revealed to us uh, by God. And so, again, if you have your Bible open... You flip back a page, you come to Colossians 1, uh, verse 25. Paul is talking about, uh, he's talking about the gospel that the folks heard, of which he became a minister. And then verse 25, of, he says, of this gospel, of which I became a minister, Colossians 1, 25, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, God chose to make known what? How great among the Gentiles are the riches of you, 
of the riches of the glory of this mystery. What's the mystery? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim. That's the mystery. Sinners, both Jew and Gentile, through faith, united to Christ so that not only are we forgiven our sins, but Christ Himself by His Spirit dwells within us and we're made new creatures. Him we proclaim. This is the... This is the mystery. Now, in order for that mystery, in order for that truth, that we are united to Christ and all His people through faith, uh, all, all, all that truth, that mystery comes to people only when, when the, the, the door is open for that message to get into them or to get into a nation. And Paul says, you and I need to pray that a door would open somewhere, someplace, in someone's heart for the Word to get through for the mystery of Christ to get through, for the glorious gospel of salvation and forgiveness and justification and sanctification, glorification to get through. And you pray that for your children. Oh Lord, open their heart. I may teach them every day and I take them to church every week, but you need to pray, says Paul, for an open door because you know that they will only pay attention to the Word of the Gospel when the Holy Spirit opens their heart. Now, does God do that? Well, you can ask yourself, how did I come to know Christ? How did you come to know Christ? Well, God must have opened a door in your life for the word, the mystery of Christ to get through. Uh, Think of the Philippian jailer. Literally and spiritually, the Lord opened the door for Paul and Silas. Think of the collapse of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Literally an open wall and spiritually an open door into communist territory for the Gospel. Think of Paul, a prisoner in Rome, at the end of the book of Acts, after such a perilous journey, beatings, uh, near death. Remember how the Apostle Paul ends uh, the book of Romans? says this, he lived there, Rome, two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what the Bible says, with all boldness and, remember, without hindrance. Oh boy. An open door that God had placed before him. But uh, God opens doors for you and I too. And the question, of course, is do you see them? And do you walk through them? And are you watching and praying? And are we watching and praying for them? Whether it's a family member, a co-worker, a school friend, or a next door neighbor, are we looking for that open door, even as we pray? Now, why do we need to pray this prayer? Well, simply because the Bible says uh, the door is shut. The door is shut. We stop our ears so that that message of the mystery of Christ doesn't come through. You know, I often thought during COVID time, you know, when we were wearing masks over our nose and mouth, uh, you know, but we have a greater mask uh, that we uh, use to cover our ears. You know, soundproofing our, our mind and heart. That I often thought, well, what would happen? Imagine doctors learned uh, that the virus was actually entering through our ears. You know, then we would have had to go around. Oh, I can't hear you right now. We have to go around with closed ears, but we do that already when it comes to the Gospel, unless the Holy Spirit has worked 
uh, in our life. It's like we build a huge dam around our heart and mind. We've got a spillway that we operate in order to keep the dam from being overwhelmed. And so the truth of God comes against that dam and the water flows. Parents teach. Uh, sermons come flowing down the river. Gospel rain pours down. But we maintain that dam. And if the water rises too high, we open the spillway uh, so the dam doesn't collapse. Paul says, pray that God may open a door for the word to break through. And the wonderful thing is, friends, uh, he does that. Nations build dams so the word of God will not come in. But it comes in anyway, whether it's North Korea or Iran or, or Syria or Libya or Pakistan or Eritrea. God has his people in those places. But not only does God uh, call us through Paul to pray for open doors, for the word to break through, And that gospel preachers, ministers, missionaries may have opportunities to proclaim and declare Christ. He prays for us. He has a desire for us here in this passage as well, uh, that we would have open mouths uh, to ourselves speak for the glory of Christ. Did you notice that? So he prays for a prayer for himself, uh, that I may make it clear, this gospel. And then he gives them an exhortation that something they should really be praying for themselves. And notice what he says in verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech... So he's just asked them to pray for him, for open doors, for the word of the mystery of Christ. Now he prays uh, for them that their speech, their their speaking, their mouths, would would be open and always be gracious. Seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you as a believer in Jesus Christ, clothed with Christ, ought to answer each person. Pray for open doors and pray for yourselves that, that you, would have, you would have open mouths, you see, full of grace. Yes, Paul says, pray for me, pray for preachers, missionaries, pray for Timothy. But you too have a calling. Here's some further instruction for you, says Paul. It has to do with how you walk and how you, and how you talk. Now, if you've read through Colossians before, I'm sure, earlier in the book of Colossians, Paul is talking about being clothed with Christ, putting off the new self, chapter 2 and 3, putting on the new self, created to be like Christ Jesus in righteousness and holiness. And he's talking about how we are to be, how we are to be dressed as Christians, clothed in Christ, um, uh, demonstrating, uh, reflecting Christ uh, in all we say and do uh, because of what he's done for us on the cross. And now Paul says the life of Christ, being clothed with Christ, means a certain walk. Isn't it interesting how he describes it? Verse 5, walk, that is simply live, walk in wisdom uh, toward outsiders making the best use of the time. This is how we need to pray for ourselves. Uh, That is, we would walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. That is, those who are outside the faith. Outside the people of God. Unbelievers, Paul says, make the best use of your time. That is, take hold of the opportunity. Uh, grasp a hold of it and let your speech in those opportunities be always gracious, seasoned with salt. Now, this is important because here Paul's you know, he's saying, pray for me, uh, but don't forget yourselves that uh, as you live, 
And as you speak, you are always uh, living as a, uh, an evangelist. You are always living as a witness to the gospel. In your walk, that is simply how you live. And in your speech, it is how you, how you speak. Uh, and, the Bible tells us, either our walk and our talk will be a powerful magnet drawing people to Christ, or it will be leaving a bad taste in their mouth. People don't love their family. Uh, think about Christmas time and all the gatherings we had over Christmas. Now think about this. People don't love their family or miss their family. They can't imagine being away from their family or neglecting their family or want to join a family simply because uh, they enjoy a good uh, pot roast once a week. That's not what binds a family together or makes them want to come at Christmas. Oh, I'm going to have potatoes and beef. No, that's not what... No, they, they love their family. They stick with the family because they love the people, the people who make up that family, the people who love them, who serve them and bless them, who are Christ to them, who are gracious towards them and who listen to them, cry with them, who laugh with them, and who serve with them. Because, of course, preachers come and go. Uh, but the family remains. The walk and the talk, you see, is all part of what draws people into the church. I don't know if you've ever visited a church, a, a faithful church. Maybe it goes by the name of Reformed or Presbyterian. And, and uh, they'll have all the doctrines of grace maybe on their bulletin. And they'll come to the place of worship. You'll sing some hymns. You'll hear a sermon that's, that's based on the Bible. And as soon as the service is over, no one says a word to you as you visit, and you're, you stand there for a little while, and, and you're waiting. You're waiting for the onslaught of love <laughs> and grace, but it doesn't come. You ever been in that situation? On the other hand, have you been in a situation where you have been to a foreign Presbyterian church? You see what's on the bulletin, and uh, after the service, oh, this person comes and says, oh, are you, are you new? Or, I, I haven't seen you before. Can, uh, where are you from? Are, are you a Christian? Are you just visiting? You got family? And it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the life and the words that draw people to the life that is ours in Christ. An unbeliever may never read a Bible, you've heard this, or hear a sermon. Uh, it's very true, though. There might be someone in your life that all they know about Christ is that you are a Christian. Now, that's an amazing thought, isn't it? All they know... Now, we just moved to Mullica Hill. And uh, they know I'm a pastor. And uh, maybe, maybe some of them have never read the Bible, never heard the Gospel. And all they will know about Christ is what they will see at 205 Meadowview Court. But that's the same for you. Taking the name of Christ. Representing Christ. Be careful, says the Apostle Paul. Be praying for yourself and the church that as we walk, how we walk uh, as we think about uh, outsiders. Those outside the faith. This is a reminder, by the way, according to the Bible, there are outsiders. There are insiders. Uh, there are those who, who know Christ, who love Christ, who, 
who have experienced His grace, they've experienced what we talked about earlier, the open door, the, their heart's been opened uh, to pay attention to the Word, they profess faith in Christ, they become part of the church family, they're inside the church family, they're part of God's community, enjoying all those blessings. And then there's outsiders. There's those who don't have that blessing. And we need to pray that, that we would walk wisely towards them so that they might be, that they might be brought in. You see, to profess faith in Christ. We are not, as the liberal said in the late 19th century, we are not all part of the family of God. Oh no, the Bible says. There are insiders. There are those, they're, they're sinners too. It's not that insiders and outsiders, insiders have no sin. No, no. All sinners. But insiders know that their sin is cleansed through the blood of Christ. And they are part of the family of God. They are brothers and sisters in the faith. And that's the most important family you and I will ever have, you see. We want outsiders who don't know Christ to become insiders part of the family of God. And sometimes those outsiders can be members of your very own family. And you want them to come and to find out how glorious the Lord is. Remember what Jesus, you know, Jesus is meeting with the church or in somebody's house and his mother and brothers and Sisters come, they knock on the door, the room's full, and they say, send out Jesus, family's here. Oh boy. One of the most convicting passages in the Bible, where Jesus says in response, no, this is my family. These are my mothers. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. All those who do the will of my Father in Heaven. That's my family, you see. And there are inside the family. And they're outside the family. And we need wisdom in how we live so that we might be reflecting something of the Lord Jesus Christ to them. And especially, says the Apostle Paul, uh, we need wisdom in how we speak to them. We need wisdom in what comes out of our mouths. That is that whatever we speak, says the Apostle Paul, you pray, not only for an open door for me, but pray for an open mouth for you, that when you open your mouth, it would always be gracious. Always, we say. Are you serious, Paul? Always? Well, but what if they, you know, my neighbor just... Always? Always. Always be gracious Seasoned with salt, knowing how to answer each person. He wants to make the gospel clear. So we pray for an open door for those gospel messengers. And Paul says, I want your speech to be clear. You need to speak clearly. And speaking clearly about Christ means always speaking with grace. Because those who know Christ, of course, you see... Know that all that they have, all that they are, are dependent on the grace of God. And that's how we, that's how we reach people. That's how, we, that's how the Lord builds His church. You might remember how the Apostle Paul described his ministry to the church in, in Thessalonica. It goes like this in 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 3. For our appeal, he says to the church, does not spring from error or impurity uh, or any attempt to deceive but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. 
For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. This is how we didn't speak to you, says Paul. Not trying to deceive anybody, not trying to please anybody, not trying to flatter anybody. Instead, speaking to please God. How do you please God? Always, says the Apostle Paul as a Christian, clothed with Christ. Always be gracious so that uh, the outsider, those who don't know Christ, will understand that if someone has had their heart open to the Word of Christ, the mystery of Christ, salvation through Christ, that person is changed so that it even affects their words. And when they speak, the outsider, the unbeliever, is, uh, is pointed somehow to Jesus. You say, well, why would someone treat me that way? Jesus. Oh, I was at the, at the uh, senior lunch this past week. What a wonderful opportunity. The, the ladies in the church have organized that over the years. Uh, folks coming from the community, some from some, some churches or other, but maybe some from, from no church, and, and, uh, and they come, and it's just an opportunity to, to speak with them, to be gracious to them, to let them know that in this community uh, there are people who love them and care for them, want to help them in all their needs. Why? Because of, because of Jesus. But we need to make it plain. Uh, we need to make it plain that we do it in the name of of Christ. I was speaking with uh, Shirley Parks this past week. I'm sure she wouldn't mind if I mentioned this to you. And uh, she, we were talking about when she was a little girl. And uh, I was asking her about how she grew up and if her parents were believers. And she was talking about reading the Bible uh, in the home. And uh, at one point she said to me, as, as she's probably shared uh, with you, that she told her father, Oh, well, what? there was a time in her life, said Shirley, when uh, she told her, well, well, why do we read the Bible all the time? You know? And uh, as Shirley tells it, I, I said to my dad, why do we read the Bible all the time? He said, you know what my dad said? Uh, he took me aside and, and he said, in this house, uh, we serve the Lord. And as long as you're in this house, uh, we will read the Bible. And we will read God's Word. See, he made it plain uh, to, uh, to Shirley. Now, that was a Christian home. And uh, the Bible would be read there, and, and she laughs about it now. And then, oh, okay, I understand. We're going to read the Bible in this place. We make it clear. There's a wonderful thing about the, the church. We don't have to uh, put out signs out on the road here. You know, free internet, free phones, if you come to church at faith. And then tell them about Jesus. We don't flatter people. Come worship with other good, moral, upright people like you. No, we don't do that. Well, if we can't deceive, seek man's pleasure, or flatter, what are we left with? Simply says the Apostle Paul, expressing something of the life of Christ that is ours. That is, when we speak, always seasoned with salt. That is helpful for building up, cleansing, and healing. That's what salt's meant to be used for. Uh, something that will bring blessing. Not foolish, uh, not sarcastic, uh, but wholesome, purifying, cleansing. God-honoring, purpose-filled, grace-filled. Speech. Always speak with grace. So we need to pray, says the Apostle Paul. Pray for open doors because nobody is going to pay attention to anything that is said from this pulpit. Nobody is going to pay attention to anything that's read from the Bible in your house. Nobody is going to pay attention to, to, to anything you share with them on the street or in your workplace unless, unless the Sovereign Lord by His Holy Spirit, opens a door, you see, for the Word. And that's exactly, friends, 
what he's already done in your life if you're a believer and what he will continue to do as we pray for exactly that and as we pray that as the Apostle Paul encourages us, when we speak, when we live, uh, we would be mindful of outsiders because we always have a view to wanting those who are outside of Christ, you see, to be brought in to Christ, that they too might love Him, serve Him, and adore Him as we do. And so let's pray for these things together as a church. Open doors and open mouths to glorify His name. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Apostle Paul, for these words from Colossians, and for how You uh, encourage us uh, even tonight to pray, Lord, as we uh, will end this uh, time together tonight in prayer together before uh, Your throne. And with the disciples, Lord, we, we ask that You would indeed teach us to pray. Remind us, Lord, of how dependent we are on Your grace in our lives, in the lives of our children, in the lives of our friends, in the lives of our our neighbors, and Lord, also that we would recognize that you have called us to, to live and to speak before you and before a watching world in such a way that they might see something of the Savior who has transformed our life in word and thought and deed, that they would see something of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in us, hear of it from us, that you would open our mouths towards them, that they too, by your grace, might be drawn to the Savior. May it be so for your glory and for our good. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.